All right, welcome back to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Today, I want to start off um, with, well, yesterday was the passing of an all-time great and a boxing legend, uh, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Fellas, I just want to start off, you know, if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share about the Marvelous one. Yeah, sure. Well, um, you know, it was an interesting weekend uh, hearing that news. Uh, when I first heard it, it, it didn't come through the, the boxing media. It was almost like maybe social media. So sometimes when that happens, you think it's a joke. It, I almost had the same feeling uh, as when um, Chadwick Bozeman, when he passed, I was like, eh, maybe it's, you know, and I kept hearing it. And then I was like, okay, this might be true. Um, it's interesting seeing someone you grew up with, your, like your hero, basically your heroes. When you look at Superman, you know, when they pass, uh, Marvin Hagler was a, a boxer. One of the first boxers I remember knowing about, even before I knew, you know, a lot about boxing, before I even, you know, became a, a real fan. Uh, he was the first boxer I saw on, you know, commercials. Uh, I saw him in, you know, TV shows. It's ironic because he didn't see me, you know, at first look as the type of guy that would do any of that. Um, but also, um, I remember in the 80s, um, they would they would sell these little cups with the fighters on, you know, on the uh, pictures of the fighters on, the, you know, the, the white cups. So they had one for Tommy Hearns and Sherry Leonard, and they had one for Marvin Hagler. And I was like, hmm, this guy's interesting. So he's a guy that uh, I grew up watching. You know, um, I, he was probably, at worst, my second or third favorite fighter. He's most likely, he's my favorite fighter of all time. Uh, he had classic fights with uh, Vito uh, Atofimo, uh, Alan Mentor, and, and even those fights were before my time. But I remember seeing the the Hagler fights, um, the, the fight with John Mugabe, uh, even the, his, you know, the fight with uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, all those fights are classic fights for their own reasons. And, you know, this is a guy who, uh, at first look, he may not seem as, as, as talented as he was, but he put the work in. He didn't have any excuses. Uh, he worked hard for, for everything that he, he ever got. It, it's astonishing that, you know, he was like 42 and one when he fr- received his first title shot, which is, you know, unheard of. You you have guys now. It's like they get a belt after you know eleven fights, or they start um, complaining about not getting their 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 shots when they're like twenty and no. Uh, he, he he really had to fight through a lot to to get what he had. So, uh, very inspirational fighter. You know, like like any one of our heroes, he's not without flaws. But you know, um, he was one of the guys who made my my childhood. You know, as someone who um, grew up in the 80s and, and came of age in the 90s. Um, when it comes to, you know, music, movies, and then sports, Marvin Hagler was, was my guy for boxing. Yeah, it's interesting um, that you said it about Hagler. Um, you know, for me growing up, what I recall about him most is that you know, marvelous, marvelous Marvin Hagler. He was one of those guys that he—he's what you like in the sport, right? He's one of those guys who wanted to fight the best. He cleared out his division, 
wasn't really necessarily, you know, looking for the gleam and the glamour. He just wanted to be the best and whatever came with being the best. That's what he accepted and that's what he took. Um, you know, he wanted the big fights, but at the same time, he wasn't willing to lessen the integrity of boxing in order to get those rewards. So he was just a tough, hard-nosed uh, fighter, you know. And like I said, he just he's, he epitomizes to me what a boxer is supposed to be as far as the grit, the determination. Um, and like you said, just that ability to not take any shortcuts. Because like you said, it, it took a long time for him. People were ducking uh, Marvelous Marvin Hagler for a long time. And then it, he finally got his opportunity against uh, Vito Antifermo. Um, and, you know, once he got his belt, you know, he was able to keep it, maintain it and take on all comers. You never really heard of anybody saying that he ducked this person, or he ducked that person because he was willing to take all, on all the smoke. If he had to rematch somebody because they end up becoming a mandatory um, challenger, he was willing to do those things. So, like I said, he's just the epitome of what a true professional fighter is. And so, you know, may he rest in peace. Danny, I know you said that he's not really, it was a little bit before your time. Um, I don't know if you had any recollections of him or anything like that, or you just want to leave it there. Um, no, I mean, y'all, y'all said it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's a tough, hard nosed um, guy. The guys that are on my number one and number two, uh, fighters, as far as the Southpaw list, you know, you know, they're no longer here. My favorite was Pernell Whitaker and Marvin Hagler was not too much beneath him in terms of like one of my all time favorites. All right. So now, um, moving on to the, what it is we're going to discuss that we got a pretty short episode for you today. It's going to be four topics that we're going to discuss, but you know, you can't start a weekend without starting with the event that took place yesterday. So yesterday we had the sequel to the much anticipated, uh, 2012 clash between Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez last night in Dallas, Texas. What are you guys' thoughts about last night's contest? This fight was everything that we thought it could be. It, it was exciting. It had a lot of skill. It had a lot of back and forth action. Uh, we had uh, Juan Elgayo Estrada, um, 41 and 3 with 28 knockouts against uh, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, uh, 50 and 2 with 41 KOs. Um, it's interesting that they fought a lot of the same people. Um, of course, Estrada had that that victory over Giovanni uh, Segura. That pretty much, um, I, I thought that was his foray. That was that was almost his foray into being a superstar after that loss with uh, Gonzalez. They both had wins over the Hawaiian Punch Brian uh, Villoria, and of course, they both had fought uh, Sorigasai, which um, Sorigasai pretty much uh, beat. Uh, Roman Gonzalez, I thought the fight with him and uh, Estrada was was close. He has a a win over Estrada, but also uh, Estrada beat him in the rematch. Um, now this this fight between Estrada and Gonzalez, uh, this is the sequel. You know, in their first fight, uh, Gonzalez uh, won, and it was also at uh, light flyweight limit, which is one hundred eight. This fight, the sequel was at uh, the super flyweight limit of one fifteen, which for both guys, I think there's there's third weight class but there was some back and forth action uh i like the, the the combinations that roman gonzalez threw i thought uh as this really the smaller man um 
he pretty much was backing. Um, he was doing a good job of backing Estrada up. And um, Estrada, we, we know before the fight, he said he was going for the stoppage and going to try to, you know, uh, stop Gonzalez. And it, it was a lot of people thought he, he would eventually stop uh, Gonzalez late. And it was almost like something that, that he was banking on, but that never happened. Uh, so they both went back and forth. It was beautiful combinations uh, being thrown. Personally, it was, it was a hard fight to score, but for the, the right reason. You know, some, some fights are hard to score because it's a lot of holding and, and things of that nature, and it can be boring. This fight was kind of hard to score because it was just back and forth action. You had to figure out who was getting the better of who. Um, first look, I thought Roman Gonzalez edged it. Uh, I'm not sure about the, the scorecard of 117 to 111 for um, Estrada El Gallo. I thought that was kind of, you know, pretty wide. Uh, th- I mean, this was a close fight, but if I had to give this fight to anyone, I thought Gonzalez edged it. Uh, we saw the look on uh, Estrada's face when, the, you know, the the winner was announced. Um, he, he wasn't sure that he won. And wh- what I like about both guys is, the respect level, you know, they know they went to war and stuff like that. Estrada, you know, this is one of the reasons why I like the smaller guys. They don't complain about pay, saying, oh, this guy got 100K more than me, or they don't complain about, um, well, I think I should fight him before I fight this guy, or he's on a different promotional platform than me. These guys just want to fight. And, and, even at the end of this fight, Estrada said, I'm willing to give Chocolatito a rematch. I'm, I'm willing to give him that third fight. You know, some fighters, they get that that win, that close win, that you know they may not deserve, and they say, I'm done. This was a tough fight. You know, I got through it. I don't have to fight this person again. I got the belts. He wants to give uh, Chocolatito a rematch. And everyone thought Chocolatito was done. I'm here to say, put some respect on Chocolatito's name. Put some, even put some respect on you know, I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying respect with a K. Say, yeah, put respect on Juan Estrada's name also. These are two guys. They're, they're, they're tough guys. They're not afraid to fight each other. When you look at their records, they fight. They continue, uh, continually fight everyone in their weight classes. They don't duck anyone around their weight class. So, I mean, it's, it's gonna, probably going to be a third fight. And I say, let's do it. I'll be here to see it. Yeah, it's a uh, really good breakdown, uh, Vale. So, some of the things that I saw, just to add on to some of the things that you mentioned, you know, you had in this fight, just going into it. These guys are always going to have a great fight with each other because even in a previous episode that when we um, did our predictions on this fight, my point that I was making is that their styles blend so well because Estrada, he's a master boxer and you have Chocolatito, he's a master cutting off the distance. So that's always going to create a good solid close fight these guys really are made for each other really to be honest with you if you just want to see a really good competitive scrap it's always going to be the case it's going to be hard to score too so um and i'm not going because again if you follow our movement you will know that danny goes on to twitter and he has a round by round breakdown and he did a really good job of breaking that down. So I would advise you to go over there to, if you haven't seen a fight, to check out his round-by-round round breakdown. And I'm not going to do that. But what I will say is this. There's a lot of punches being thrown. And it's kind of like, who would you want to have been most in those rounds to give one guy the nod over the other? But at the end of the day, as I watched the fight, um, I had it really. I watched it one time. 
Um, the other thing too is I had the COVID vaccine shot number two yesterday. So, um, a, a couple cocktails that I had may have not helped either. So I kind of missed it yesterday. So I got up this morning and I watched it. So I only watched it once, right? So as I watched the fight, I had it where Roman Gonzalez, he had six rounds where I knew he won those rounds. And then I had it Estrada. It was four rounds where I knew he had won those rounds. And those probably, two of those rounds probably was the most, um, where it was no doubt like that person won that round and so if i add the two even rounds then i had a 116 114 for roman um chocolatito gonzalez i can see it as a draw but that was on the first watch it was really tough to score because sometimes you will have one guy will be bringing it and then the other guy take over and it's like who won majority of that round so it's kind of difficult in that regard but it was a really good fight um other things that i really want to mention as far as that because it was, it was hard to score and you know you even heard estrada's corner like i think it was around like the ninth or tenth round maybe the tenth round they would say you need a knockout now if that was the case then he lost that fight because two of those three of the last rounds gonzalez definitely won those rounds so if you're just going by that but i won't really make too much of a um issue with the results because i'm hoping that it leads to a third fight that will settle the score but there was another guy who was in action i want to say the day before and that was Sora rumbasai who you mentioned as well Vale, um on that card i've never seen a card like that before i think it was thailand versus thailand each guy had like the same color shorts like <laughs> it was it was just interesting and it was just all guys from thailand fighting against each other but what they were saying is is that so Romanside was supposed to get the winner in August or September. Like it was guaranteed. I don't know if they're going to put, they're going to scrap that and allow Chocolatito and Francisco Estrada to have that rematch. I'm not sure. But if they are, like let's say for instance, Romanside, based on what I saw, now Romanside is 34 years old, but that dude is a big, solid, if, and now this may seem like an oxymoron, but he's a big, solid 115-pound fighter. Like with those legs and just the way he throws his punches, he's a left-hander. If any one of those guys matches up, Estrada matches up better with him because of his counter-punching ability, and he's a little bit more elusive. Chocolatito, with his pressure style, it doesn't bode well for somebody like Sorambasai. I see him, if they end up, if he tries to rematch him, whenever. I think that that's, that would end bad for Chocolatito, just based on the fact that it's a couple times now, even more so than it did before, where he has a couple lulls where he doesn't do too much and his opponent can get off a little bit, and you do not want to be there in front of Sora So That man can really punch. Now, he's getting up there. Maybe if it's a year or two from now, he may slow down enough where Chocolatito can get the better of him. But I see Estrada, if that did happen, I see Estrada winning another uh, convincing decision, this time even more convincing. And then I see him not, um, Chocolatito not being able to deal with Rumbasai. But scrapping all of that, yesterday was a good uh, match, borderline classic. Hopefully we'll get a third fight. Great breakdown, fellas. Um, it's crazy. You, you don't often see a fight that, that, not only lives up to the hype, but exceeds the hype. 
Um, like, you know, that was easily for me so far, fight of the year candidate. Uh, I would probably give round 12, round of the year candidate, a strong candidacy there. Um, I, like you said, well, I did score it on live on our on our Twitter account. For whatever reason, my, my app wouldn't sync to my TV, so I won't, you know, I, I, I missed the round, so I don't want to give it a final score, but I, I did have Chocolatito edging it out. I wasn't necessarily mad at the result because they were just so hard to score those rounds. Um, typically, um, Estrada would come on strong, and then Chakatito would do some solid work, some solid counter punching in the, in the middle of the round, and then the end of the round would be kind of like a toss up. And so each round was, for the most part, um, pretty hard to score. I would say that Estrada's punches seem more impactful, even when it didn't land. He just just a bigger guy. He just has so much power behind his punch, and, and Chakatito being a smaller guy. Um, but you know, hats off to both of those warriors. Um, some of the copy box numbers were, were nuts. Like, also hats off <laughs> to whoever was punching those those buttons on the copy box machine. Y'all need a, y'all need a, a a wrist massage, a forearm massage, or whatever, because that was they set a new record for the weight class with a combined amount of punches thrown, two thousand five hundred twenty-nine punches thrown. Um. They landed a combined 705 punches. They threw a combined 1,700 power punches. They threw, they landed a combined 1,381 punches. Like, just landed. Like, most, a lot of fights at, the, at these higher weight classes, people don't, don't even throw that many, that many punches. So, so it, it was pretty crazy to watch. Um, now, in terms of the individuals, um, Chocotito landed 391 out of 1,317. Estrada landed 314 out of 1,212. Estrada did do some work to the body. He landed about 89 body shots. And I thought those body shots were going to, uh, were going to hurt. Well, they did hurt Chocotito, but, um, but you know, he's a warrior. He hung in there again. Shout out to the guys because they, they showed so much class in the middle of the fight. Uh, you know, just even just giving just the pounds at the in between, you know, at the end of the round. And at the end of the fight, the respect they had, um, Chocolatito, you know, he thought he won, but he didn't make any excuses, um, showed a ton of respect there. And that's what you love to see with this sport. You know, you, you go to war, you, you train, you, you do your camp, you go to war. And, and after the war, it's respect. You just here to feed your family and, and do what you love. Um, this fight is definitely a legacy fight for Estrada. I would say it cemented his legacy. He already had one, but it cemented it. I don't think it took away from Chocolatito's legacy. Um, I, I think that 117 and 111 scorecard took away from that judge's legacy because I don't know what that was about. Good grief! But man, it was a it was a beautiful fight to watch. Um, I'm definitely gonna go back and watch it again at some point soon because it was just so good. And I want to look at it with, you know, without having to score it and just like look at it with with a, a new set of eyes. Did you yeah, I, I just wanted to say um, that, okay. like for Chocolatito, that's the second time I've seen a fight where. I thought that he won. Like that really, the only loss that I know that he has convincingly was that second sort of Rumbasai fight. Because the first one, I was so surprised that they gave Rumbasai that that um, the nod in the first fight that they had that majority decision back in 2017. And so, like I said, that's the second time that you know he 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 caught a tough break. The other thing that I wanted to say was that you know, like you said, Vil, man, they. Um, put ashes on the, on the man a little too early, you know, and 
I think that he's not appreciated the way he he should be appreciated in a sport of boxing. You know, he was legitimately the number one pound for pound fighter around 2015, 2016-ish and 17-ish. But just to remove him out of the top 10, um, based on those skills, man, because he has a lot of good stuff that he does on the inside that is high quality. You know, like some, most people cannot do that. I don't think there's anybody in boxing that can do some of the things that he does on the inside. And um, so I just wanted to say that his demise was greatly uh, exaggerated. And for the even for the car, shout out to uh, Jessica McCaskill who who won over uh, Cecilia Brakis. Uh I don't I I have to say that because I didn't really like Jessica McCaskill, but seeing her fight, I mean, it's funny because she fights like someone straight out of the hood, and it's like, with her feints and everything. It's like it, it's interesting to watch. <laughs> so check that out if you haven't seen it. Uh, but I don't have nothing though. Yeah, that was a good scrap too. Uh, salute to those ladies. Um, yeah, she was throwing those those overhand those, those looping hooks with, with bad intentions, man. And she just she was like she wanted it more, you know. Um, but going back to to the fellas, I completely agree with with that take. You know, I, I thought that you know with both takes really because you know like you said, Will, um, you know he was number one pound for pound. He had all the belts and you know, people made the hype about Floyd reaching 50 and 0. Uh, at that point, Chocolatito low key was well on his way to that. And and my, my rule of thumb is that I, you know, one of the first things I picked up when watching boxing is if you're going to take all somebody belts, you got to you got to do it convincingly. And so I didn't really like that they gave so run for the decision. I thought he I thought he fought well, but I didn't like it. And in this fight, you know, it, it was what it was. But but I agree with that. And you know, I also agree that he, that he was he's unappreciated, and I don't know if it's because his personality, because he's such a nice guy, and he doesn't really talk trash, and he doesn't you know uh, you know demean anyone or, or or fight for himself after a after what could be a questionable decision. But you know, it's unfortunate, and I hope that when his career is over, people can look back at him and remember him for how how. Yeah, great I don't. Was. You know, again, and, you, you and might you want to get guys their flowers when while they still around. You know what I mean, and not wait to chuck the Tito retires and it's like oh he really was this and that you know maybe he need to change his name to Carmelito or something you know <laughs> maybe they hating on him because of the name I don't know but <laughs> one thing I do want to also say is you know thank those guys I know it's 12 years in the making but you know for those guys to get in the ring and scrap you know we have so many divisions where you have guys who are not fighting each other they figuring out a way to fight the weakest opponents you got the lightweight division it's like all my children it's like a soap opera like when are you guys gonna fight i mean i know that they are young and, and that we might be putting a little pressure on them too soon but at the same time you had those belts and you trying to get a belt the person that you need to get the belt from is one of your peers and so you got that going on you got the heavyweights joshua and wilder never fought each other you got the welterweights with crawford and spence 70 30 90 10, you know, all of this type of stuff. And them guys got in the ring and put on the classic. So shout out to them for that. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Give that man his flowers, you know. But uh, we had another fight on on the Showtime side of the, of the street. Uh, David Benavidez uh, came back and fought Ronald Ellis at the super middleweight division. 
Did you guys yeah, see check that? that out? And, and I'm disappointed in my boy Spence before I get into that. It was saying 70 30, like, don't do that. Come on, Spence. Like, you heard me, man. Like, that's one of the main differences between you and these other guys is that you really were not doing that type of stuff. But I'm going to get off that. I'm going to stay on topic. Now, as far as the David Benavides uh, versus Ronald Ellis fight, you got uh, El Bandera Roja, which is uh, the red flag. My main man, David Benavides, goes by that moniker. He's 6'1 and a half. And he's orthodox, 24 years old, 24-0 with 21 KOs. Ronald Ellis, on the other hand, 31 years of age, orthodox fighter, 18-2-2 with 12 KOs. At least that's after the fight. And he has a 77-inch reach. Um, I thought this, you know, just going into it, this is the reason why we didn't preview it, because we kind of knew what the outcome of this fight was going to be. But just a quick breakdown. Um, Ellis came out, and I think he stole round one. But after that, it was all Benavides. Benavides, for the most part, was relentless with his pressure. He landed 341 uh, punches total in a fight. And he was also pretty accurate because he landed 54% of his power shots. Benavides, throughout the fight, was landing a powerful jab throughout. Um, and then he was landing some mean body shots. He landed 95 body shots to Ellis's 32 body shots. And then the other thing as well is that he hurt Ellis on a few occasions, and most noticeably, I would say like the sixth or the eighth round, which you can visually see Ellis being hurt. Um, but Ellis was game. You know, he had a lot of damage being done to him due to the accumulation, and finally the rough stopped the fight in the 11th round to relieve him from further damage. Now, again, it's just a stay-busy fight. I thought that Benavidez did what he was supposed to do. He looked good. You know, I was impressed with his stamina. Um, also, him going into the fight, just understanding the fact that he was saying that he was under 168, like the week of the fight, like even before the weigh-in and stuff like that. So we made it comfortably and it showed as far as his stamina. Now, some of the things that I'm noticing more and more about Benavides, some of the things that he needs to work on, I don't know if he'll ever be like a top tier type fighter in this area, but he does definitely need to work on, and that's footwork. Like some of his footwork, I think a guy may be able to box him um and get a win over him that way the other thing is and i think that this is what i'm more so worried for for him is that he's kind of stationary he, he he's upright like he now don't get me wrong as good as you possibly can be with that fight stance and style the way he throws his punches and he has those long arms he knows how to use it well but i'm just kind of leery about guys who leave their head in the air that high kind of like um my man who got knocked out a couple weeks ago um against valdez so you know that's something that i'm, I'm worried about for him but at the same time it's going to be hard to get to him because the way he fights he has long arms he keeps that jab out there and then he's relentless so you kind of more so going to be on the defensive but if you fight somebody like a canelo Canelo can run you into something that could be the end of the day for you, you know? And so, um, but outside of that, it was a good win to stay busy. Hopefully some of those guys. Oh yeah. The last thing I do want to say is this, is that <laughs> these dudes got to step up to the plate. Like he's really blatantly disrespecting some of these guys. Like he tell them that they, <laughs> they don't have any kahunas and all of this type of stuff. So, he, he's disrespecting their manhood. So I think at this point, and the points that he's making about why they should fight 
it makes absolute sense. And there's no reason for those guys not to step up to the plate. And I'm talking about Charlo and Plant. I think more so Plant than Charlo, but him as well, because some of the comments that he made. So if you're saying that, then you should have no problem stepping up and taking care of Benavidez if you're saying that that would be easy work. Caleb Plant is really not any excuse because if he wants to fight the best in the division and he can't get Canelo right now, then who's next to fight? It would definitely be David Benavidez. So he has a point, but the way he's disrespecting those guys, come on, man, y'all going to have to step up to the plate, you know, because it's starting to get pathetic. But that's my take on it. Good. Stay busy for uh, David Benavidez. Yeah, I would agree. Um I uh, I scored this one live. Also, I had it ninety nine ninety one at the time of stoppage. Basically, um, you know, Ellis started out. He was the aggressor at the beginning, and he had a pretty strong jab. But it was basically, for the most part, the extent to to what he had to offer. He threw six hundred seventy punches. Three hundred thirty four of them were jabs, and uh, he didn't throw a whole lot of combos. It was a lot of jabs, a lot of one twos. Um, and so, you know, as the rounds went on, Benavidez, you know, turned on. He started to get busy with some counters and some flurries. When he threw those flurries, there's not really much you could do with that. Certainly not Ellis. And so, uh, you know, at that point, Ellis began in the middle rounds, began to rely more on his, on his movement and kind of fighting off the back foot. And, you know, shout to him. He had a very strong chin and was willing to – he was very willing to go out on his shield. And the ref was like, nah, he, you know, let's, let's, let's go ahead and stop that. Um you know, so that man can have a, a, a long career, hopefully. But like you said, Will, uh, overall, it was a pretty good stay busy fight for him. He does have some things to work on. Um, he, I will say that physically he looked good in terms of, you know, making the weight and in terms of uh, how he carried himself in the ring. And so uh, up to this up to this point, based on what he said after missing weight uh, the previous year, well, he said he intends on staying at the weight class. He he looked like he could still do that for a little bit longer if he if that's what he tends to do, uh, which it sounds like it is. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll you know we'll see what the next steps are for for his career. I hope he you know I hope he had that next step up. That's all I really got. Yeah, both of you guys made uh, excellent points. Uh, like you said, um, Danny, you know Ellis came out aggressive uh, and he was trying to bring to Benavidez um, using his jab and and. And by the the second round or third round, um, I was like, this is not going to end well, especially considering I was concerned because um, Ellis has a strong chin and he, he's a tough guy. And fighters like that, and I saw early on that that he had that strong chin. And, and fighters like that, you ha- you have to save them from themselves eventually, because uh, sometimes they end up being too tough for their own good. And with Ronald Ellis, it was kind of you know the case. Um, because I was surprised he still at times he stood right in front of David Benavidez and was trying to bang with him. Now, even though uh, Benavidez was getting the best of those exchanges, I, I felt it, it. I mean, it, it was impressive that Ellis was willing to do that, and he wasn't totally just being outclassed. The, you know, the whole time it, it just got to a point during the fight it started getting repetitive, and then Benavidez started to wear him down. Those punches was. Uh, becoming too much because I mean no man can just just take that type of like body shots and and some of the the flurries that Benavidez was throwing was just was you know it, it was brutal you know and, and Ellis um to his credit I mean 
you could tell he was hurt, but he didn't seem like he was just out of it. And even when his corner uh, was, was, was threatened to stop the fight, I think it was the, the seventh or eighth round, um, one of those rounds where the corner was threatening to stop the fight, Ellis responded immediately in the next few rounds. Um, he he, he uh, stepped it up a little bit and kind of got himself kind of back into the fight as far as um, – the it was a point in the fight when I felt like, hmm, he might be able to finish this fight. But um, shout out to David Benavidez. Uh, I thought his, his, his uh, body shots is beautiful. Uh, he threw some interesting fast combinations, which I was impressed with. Um, I mean, he, he has his flaws. I, I can see him having trouble against someone who can move effectively, which I, I thought Ronald Ellis would probably at least try. Um, but if someone's if someone bangs with David Benavidez, I think that's going to spell trouble for them. But I, I was very you know impressed with Benavidez. I mean, of course, it was a stay busy fight. Um, hopefully, he, he gets those fights that he wants. I mean, I, I like the way he talks and how he because in all in all, David Benavidez is a fighter that I really didn't like for for uh, for a time being, but. I have to respect that he wants those fights. He's calling those guys out. You know, they're not necessarily responding. And one thing he said is, look, I'm, I, I might not deserve Canelo now, but I'm fighting to get that Canelo fight. And that, that's respect. You got to respect that. That he's willing to, he wants to fight Caleb Plant. He wants to fight uh, Charlo. I think he will fight, <laughs> he will fight uh, Berliga or, or I, I, I can even see him going and fight up and fighting Bivol, you know, Bivol or uh, Bitterbee. So, He's he's not a type of fighter that's gonna duck anyone, but I think the fight that he really needs is uh, Caleb Plant first and foremost, like you said, Will, and probably that Charlo fight. We wouldn't be talking about Charlo versus uh, Benavidez. It wouldn't even be a thing if Charlo wouldn't have said anything. Sometimes, as a fighter, you have to like just you know. Sometimes it's good to just chill and just say whatever you know. And that's kind of that goes to our, our our first fight with Estrada and Chocolatito. You know they're not talkers like that. You know they don't hear them going back and forth saying I want to fight Sariga fight side and then say eh, whatever I'm not fighting him now. They don't have those those problems because they don't you know they're not talking before the action. <laughs> so uh, shouts out to David Benavidez. I, I, I definitely hope I see that plant fight or that Charlo fight next. I think that would be fireworks. Um, it, I know Benavidez's game, they can do it for the fans. The only thing I was going to say was that Charlo. Ooh, did you guys have any, any more on that? I get it because Benavidez said that he wanted that fight and that it was the way Charlo responded. Now, Charlo could have conceivably just easily said, you know, he could have ended it with, you know, I, I David Benavidez can't beat me. I'll get to that once I'm at 168. But he just made it seem like he'll go through him now. You know what I'm saying? So that's where the, the problem occurred. But, you know, you got You know, obviously as a fighter, you, you're you not going to back down from somebody. But it's the way that he ended that where it's like, okay, okay, we'll see that in the future. But the way he was saying it, it's like, okay, if you're saying that you can just whoop him right now, whatever, decapitate him or whatever it is that you said, then what's up? Let's see it if it's that easy. Yeah. Now, uh, Vel, I understand you watched the Brandon yeah, Lee and Samuel Tia fight um, on Wednesday night. 
it was it, it, not much happened, but Brandon Lee, I mean, he's a guy to watch. Uh, he came in the fight 21 and 0 with 19 knockouts um, he, against Samuel Tia, who was uh, T, who was 17 and three with uh, seven knockouts. Um, he only went third, three rounds. Uh, Brandon Lee, you know, pretty much caught caught uh, Tia Cole with a, a counter right hand, which which just put Tia out out cold. And if you haven't seen highlights of Brandon Lee, because um, I didn't know a lot about him. I think he should. If we ever do another podcast edition, I mean another uh, prospect addiction, he probably is going to make that 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 cut. I mean, he's probably a guy to watch. I mean, I watched some of his fights. Very tough guy. I mean, he has a lot of power. Uh, in a way, he's sort of like uh, David Benavidez, where you can see his flaws, but he's so big and strong. Um, a lot of his opponents can't do anything about it. He's five foot ten. You know, that's pretty tall for uh, a light welterweight, which is 140. You know, he's a big guy. You can see, physically see it when he's in the ring. So um, he's friends with uh, with Duran Ennis, another fighter, that a prospect they were high on. So, you know, he has the right amount of people around him. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see where he goes uh, from here and, and how, how his career turns out. You know, 140, you know, has – of course, the, the champions may or may not be there once he get up there. Get up there, but we still have you know prospects uh, at 140 like um, Gary Antoine Russell, and then you know his prospects at 147 also. So his future is going to be be interesting. Mind if I cook on that a little bit too, Bill? Sure. Yeah, I just want to add a few things because you know I, I checked it out a little bit too. You know what I mean? So when I what I noticed with him is that like early on I wanted to see what the fuss was about because I saw some information being disseminated on YouTube about Brandon Lee and his punch of power. Some people question his punch of power because of the fact of the level of opposition that he's been facing. And so, um, you know what I'm saying? We don't know. And this was a good opportunity for him to showcase that because Tia had never been knocked down, let alone knocked out before. Also, what I didn't know about Tia was that he was number 10 um, in the IBF rankings that Bel- that Josh Taylor has, so he's fighting a top ten opponent. You know, obviously you got all of these organizations and alphabet soup organizations, so you know you can take that with a grain of salt. But he was ranked in the top ten. But um, the other thing is that Lee hadn't been passed four rounds, so this was a good opportunity to fight somebody who didn't have the power, and then also who had a chin. So you can see if he can, um, what he's going to do once he gets past four rounds, which he had never been before. But we didn't find out because, like you said, he got not clean out. Um, but when I noticed in round one, he looked really relaxed. And you can tell that he does have heavy hands. He is He's physically well put together for the 140-pound division. He's only 21 years old, so I don't know how long he's going to be able to stay at that division. He's going to outgrow it um, because he's so muscular. Back in the day, there used to be a fighter called John Meeks. Or it called his name was John Meeks in the one forty pound division. Um, they got similar builds, like they really strong and, and Tia is too. Like those are really well put together one hundred forty pound fighters. And then the second round, it was pretty much even. I thought Tia um, did a really good job of staying competitive. It was a good you know fight for that young up and coming guy that has somebody who wasn't just going to back down once he hit him and stuff like that. So it was good action. And Tia was landing some nice jabs. 
Um, and I gave him the first half of the round, and I gave Lee the second half of the round. So it was kind of basically even in that um, that round of action. But third round came, like you said, no need to um, restate what it is that was always already stated. But you know, he got clipped with a right hand, went down, and then not too long after that, the punch that hurt around the world um, put him away. So, like you said, um, 140-pound division is tough. Like, as I look at, like, the top 10 pound-for-pound type 140-pound fighters, he's not ready yet. You know, he still has some more um, tweaking that he has to do. And just some more growing as a 21-year-old who's um, has a whole bunch of talent, but he still needs some work and being refined a little bit. And so I would look for – if I was him, and because I think Josh and – um. Josh win this fight, they're looking at guys like Terrence Crawford and going up the 147 pound, um, going to the 147 pound weight division. So it's going to be room up there if Josh beats Ramirez and it'll be like belts that'll be all over the place. And that, and that IBF, the way they have it ranked, <laughs> they got about eight, nine guys in there. You don't even know who these guys are. So that might be an avenue for him to go is just to go the IBF route and then also gain some experience on the way as he beats some of those guys in that ranking class. So, But I like what I see. We still don't know a lot of things about him as far as it's kind of like the boost in the situation. You know what I mean? You don't know how well his chin to hold up if he's fighting somebody who has some power. Can somebody not do what Tia does? Tia was trying to back him up because he said he can't fight backing up. And he was right at certain times. That short bout, you can see that, that he was having trouble. That's something that you can learn as you – get groomed moving forward but he's not there yet those are still things he need to work on but um it's just gonna be a matter of time i like to see where this kid goes like two and three years from now you know all of the different type of things that he learns the skills that he developed and you know we shall see but right now you know that was a good win at the particular time in his career moving right along uh we had we had some mini fights uh coming up um especially next week. We have a, a cruiserweight uh, bout that's going to come come up next week for the uh, WBO cruiserweight title. We have Lawrence Okalai or Oakley versus Christoph Golovsky. Um, do, do, do you guys, I know, Will, you had a prediction on this fight. What do you see happening? Correction. I may not. I'm still, you know, in the air in terms of who I think may win. This fight. And I, I'll explain why. So you got Lawrence Okoli against um, Glowoski. And so Okoli is 15-0 with 12 knockouts. He's 28 years old, 65-and-a-half with a 82-and-a-half-inch reach. And then Golowski, 32 into 19 KOs, 6 feet, 34 years old with a 75-inch reach. And this is going to be for one of the belts at Cruiserweight. Now, let me just go ahead and explain a couple of things about Okoli. Obviously, he likes to work behind that long jab, and then he has some really good power. But, again, we still really don't know about him because he's green as well. He's, he's like Brandon Lee to a certain degree based on the level of opposition that he was facing. Last time out on that Joshua card when he was fighting Pulev, he fought in the Kofu. He was fighting a gentleman named Jezeski, I believe, and he knocked him out either in the second or third round. In that fight, he kept, Jaseski kept getting clipped, and 
he kept getting short circuited every time he would hit him it's like his legs would do a little dance and it's like he was doing a macarena every time that he'd get clipped but he was a replacement he was a late replacement so you really still could engage where okoli was in that bout now some of the guys he's been hitting he doesn't appear he has 12 ko's and again he's fighting limited opposition he doesn't appear to have like tremendous power but he's so big you know and then also i think he has that some guys when they face him it's like um it's like the jeff lacy thing where jeff lacy used to come in the ring and he was so physically he had all of these physical attributes some people just scared already so he'll just land something and they'll just fall down and that seems like that's a lot of what his opponents were doing early on and so it's hard to gauge really how talented Okoli is at this point in his career. I have no idea. Um, and with Golowski, his two losses, I'm telling you, when I saw his fight against, one of the fights he lost was against Alexander Usyk. And that was the best Usyk that I've seen. He showed, like, really good combinations. He, his footwork was really quick. He was getting out of the way of punches. But that was a war. And that was the best... Golowski I've seen as well. And so it was very, that was a very impressive fight. If you haven't seen that, go back and check it out. Then also Golowski has a knockout loss against Maris Bredis. And that fight, that was an extremely crazy fight. Robert Bird was the referee. And so what happened is in the first round, Maris Bredis, he caught Golowski with a, a um, elbow. Boom! Like right on his, his jaw. And so Golowski went down. Probably the next exchange, the referee took a point away from Bredis. But the next exchange, he got dropped immediately. Golowski went down immediately, right? Then after that, at the end of the round, the bell rings. About 10 seconds after the bell, Bredis knocks him down again. So I'm like, what is going This is a crazy fight because the way the bell rung, it was hard to know if that was the bell for the fight. And so he ended up getting knocked down at the end of the round. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. So then in the third round, so keep in mind, he gets knocked down 10 seconds after the bell. So they're counting. So he really only gets about 40 seconds to get prepared for the next round. And so um, Bradis came out and he knocked him out. So with that being said, I don't know how much of that, and that's the last fight that I believe he's had. So I don't know how much that last brutal KO loss against Bradis is going to have on Golowski going into this Okoli fight. So that's the only thing. If it's the same Golowski that fought Usyk or he's similar to that, then I will pick him either by knockout or a decision. But I don't know. The other thing about Okoli, you don't know about his stamina against top quality opposition because he's been fighting so many less than stellar opponents so to me i really i think this is a 50 50 fight it's more so on Golowski, where he is in his career and like i said if he's anywhere near he was when he fought Usyk, then i think that he'll get the nod against the colby yeah, yeah that's a good prediction yep and next week we got the ramirez fight you know no, sir. Not ramirez. Yeah, we have hooker versus ortiz who do you got what's your last final predictions what round what, what you think Ortiz by Ortiz by stoppage, I would say about the eighth or ninth round. 
an exciting fight, actually. <laughs> It'll be exciting. And Ortiz will take over about mid-round, and I think he's going to stop Hooker about the eighth or ninth round. All right, we'll catch you next week. Peace. Peace.